You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. It's good to be together, isn't it? I, uh, I'm praying that um, we as humans... That, that we would learn from these things. You know, when do you take things for granted? When you think you have it all the time. When do you not take it for granted? When somebody takes it away from you. And I'm praying that this gathering together, that we would see that it is good to dwell in the house of the Lord together. And um, that we would make plans accordingly in our lives. And uh, uh, excited uh, that the Lord saw fit. I didn't know when I said last week that I was praying that we would get together soon, that it would be this week, so I'm thankful. I was hopeful, but not fully confident. So I'm excited uh, that uh, we are here together today. And I I pray that you've been able to keep up with our study in Romans 8. What an incredible chapter, isn't it? And um, last week uh, and the week before, we were reminded that we will suffer. In this life, God tells us that we will suffer. And as we look at creation, as we even look at our own lives, we're reminded that we are still under the curse. But that will not be forever, as we learned last week. There is a day coming where where the, the creation will be made new. God will make all things new. And you and I will receive redeemed bodies, glorious bodies, where we will look like Jesus Christ. And as we ended last week, we've seen that when we pray that the Spirit of God himself intercedes on our behalf. And as he intercedes on our behalf, he brings about the will of the Father. And so, as we're going to see in a a couple of weeks here, or next week actually, Christ intercedes for us, the Spirit intercedes for us, and the will of the Father is done. And what that looks like is is seen in our verses that we're going to be studying today, Romans 8, 28-30. Romans 8, 28 to 30. Let me read them for us so that we might understand. What is the will of the Father? What is it he is accomplishing? What is it the Spirit is praying for you? We see in verse 28, and we know that those who love God, for th- sorry, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now we get to study one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Romans 8, 28. If you have been in the faith for very long, if you've been in any kind of struggle, I'm sure at some point someone said to you, remember, all things work together for good. Right? Now, what I don't know is if you fully understood what is meant in Romans 8.28. I think that many people, when they hear that, all things work together for good, that I'm going to get the good that I desire, right? Whatever it is I'm going through, if it's sickness, I will be healed. If it's job loss, I will have a job, and it's actually going to even be better. I'm going to get a raise. If I'm having relationship issues, they will be mended. That's the good that we think will happen. But if we truly understand Romans 8, 28 to 30, we see that there's something so much more than that. And you may not get another job. Your relationship may not be mended. But God is doing something in these things. And so our, my prayer this morning, as we look at the text, that we would fully understand what Romans 28, 8.28 means. And that we would see that it is glorious that we would see that it is good, that it is great, that it is so much more so than some pithy little thing that your life is going to work out in the way that you would want it to work out. It's so much more than that. So we're going to look at it in just a moment. Let me pray for us, though, before we do.
God, we are so thankful for your word. God, you have revealed yourself to us through the living word. And this morning, as we read these things, we're reminded of your faithfulness. God, I pray that we would have the same confidence as Paul as we study these things, that we would know these things. That, God, you would teach us by the power of your Spirit, by the leading of your Spirit this morning. God, we are so prone to wander, so prone to, prone to think of the things that we want to think rather than thinking accurately as your Word tells us. And so, God, we pray that you would shape our thinking this morning, that we would understand these verses in perhaps new ways, Lord, as we study together. God, that we might know you more, that we might love you better. Lord, lead this preacher now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so three reasons this morning, three reasons the believer can trust the Lord. God has a plan and you can trust him. Three reasons the believer can trust the Lord. The first is this, the plan of God. It is good. Plan of God, it is good. We see this in verse 28. Again, let me read it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This plan of God, first of all, it's sure. It's sure. Note that he says, we know. We know. He's not saying, I hope, maybe, perhaps. He is making a confident assertion here that he knows these things that he is about to say. In the same way that he knows that creation has been groaning back in verse 22, he knows that creation is groaning, but it will be redeemed. He knows that all things work together for good for those who love God. He is confident in these things. This morning the question is, are you confident in the things that he is saying here? As the Spirit intercedes on our behalf, we know that for those who love God, there's a certain thing that's happening. So here we see that there's a, that, that confidence of knowing is only for a specific group of people. It's not for all mankind. It is specifically for those who love God. It's not for the religious, those who are sincere in following whatever religion they've decided to follow. That's not who this is for. It is not for the wise, you know, those who have the flexibility to kind of just roll with the punches in life. That's not what it's saying here. Is it maybe for good people? We know for good people God is going to do the following. It's not for good people. As we've talked about here in the past, the Bible teaches that there has only been one who was good, and that is Jesus Christ, that he was crucified for the sins of all the bad people, so that whoever would put their hope in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The Lord God, in giving us Jesus, gave us perfect righteousness, and our sins have been placed on Jesus instead as he hung on the cross. This is the gospel. As Christ hung on the, on the cross, our sins were placed upon him and the wrath of God was poured out on him. One good person dying for many bad people. He alone is good. And even as we consider these verses this morning, the cross is central to our understanding of these things. Jesus suffered, Jesus suffered, and as we have learned, so will his followers. When we consider Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good, we should not think that there will be no suffering. There will be suffering. Now, you could go to churches that will teach you that there will be no suffering, but that will not help you in your time of suffering, right? You can, go, you can, you can cherry-pick verses, Anybody can do that. Satan did that. Cherry pick verses like, see, everything's always going to work out for you. You're going to have health. You're going to have prosperity. It's all good. You can find those verses in here. But then you'd have to miss a whole lot of what the Scripture says. All right? So we will suffer, 
but our hope is in Jesus Christ. I love the way this is put. We know that for those who love God, is that true of you this morning? Do you love him? Sometimes people are like, I don't, I don't know. Like, am I truly saved? That's a great place to start. Do you love God? Do you want to know him more? Do you long to be with him? Is he your desire above everything else in this world? Do you love him? If you love him, everything that he's about to say is true for you. I pray that everyone who's here today, who's watching online, you can say, I love him. The plan of God is sure for those who love God. God's plan is also significant. It's significant in its scope and in its intention. Its scope, all things. Its intention, good. All things work together for good. If you want just a little bit of a clue what all things might include, just look down to verse 35. What is verse 35 says? It says, or say, it says there, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All things. So not all good. Some really difficult things there. Tribulation, distress, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Pretty much anyone on this earth could say that they have those things. But for the Christian, you also get thrown in persecution. But for you, it says that these things will work together for your good. Now, I did a little study this week. The word in the Greek for all means all. All right? It means all things. Think about that. Let that sink in. Everything that happens in your life, God is using for good. Everything. The large things, the small things. He's using it for good. The New American Standard uh, translates this verse, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. So what does that do to my grumbling and my complaining? The next time something happens in my life that I don't like. The Bible is clear in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 where it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. See, when I grumble and I complain, and I do, sadly, I am saying what? I am saying, God, you are not good, your plans are not good, and you do not know what you're doing. That's what I'm saying when I grumble and complain. The one who is walking in God, who is walking in his ways, will proclaim Lord, I thank you that you're using this in my life for your glory and for my good. So when you hear someone is gossiping about you, thank you, Lord. When you get that diagnosis that will change the rest of your life, thank you, Lord. When you're stuck in traffic and late, thank you, Lord. When someone else in your life is hurting and you're burdened for them, thank you, Lord. All things. Now, if we're being open and honest here this morning, I think it's a little hard for us to get our mind wrapped around that. Really? All things? Even the small little things? Even the big things? All things? Yes, all things. God is sovereign over it all. Sometimes we think, how could this, how could that be used for any kind of good? Look to the cross. Look to the cross. What about that day made anyone think that anything good was happening there? If you were there that day, would you think that anything good was happening? 
You want to look at a desperate situation. There it was. And yet we know that on the darkest of all days, God was bringing about the unexpected way of salvation for multitudes of people from every tribe, language, and nation. Incredible. The darkest of all days was used for the greatest of all good. And so it is for you and I today. Listen, I have had difficult days. I've had times of great sorrow and pain. And it is right and it is good to weep in your pain. It is good to cry out to God. But I want you to, at the same time, to remember what this verse is saying, that God is using this for a greater good in your life. His will is being done. His purposes are coming to fruition. Now, you and I may not ever fully understand that. You may never fully get to know like exactly what God is doing, but we have the big picture as we're going to see in these verses here. You may not know like this led to this, which led to this. You, you may not have that kind of comprehension. Anyone here know all things? Anyone? Anyone have omniscience? None of us have that. But praise God, our Father has omniscience. He knows all things. And he's saying, everything that's coming into your life, I'm using for your good. He's working. Stop puts it like this. God is ceaselessly, energetically, and purposefully active on your behalf. God is at work for the good of his people. Being himself wholly good, his works are all expressions of his goodness and are calculated to advance his people's good. Nothing is beyond the overruling, overriding scope of his providence. All things, God is working together for good. Even COVID. God's plan is sure, it's significant, and it's specific. It's specific. Life is not random. It's not controlled by chance or karma or luck or whatever other man-made concept we can come up with. It is ruled by God. From the viewpoint of earth, it is those who love God who are having all things working together for good. But there is much more involved from a heavenly point of view. We see that those who are called are also those who love God. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now what I find interesting is that in our quick, and we know that all things work together for good, we kind of just forget a whole everything else is seeing, being said here. Okay, So what does that mean? What does it mean that you were called according to his purpose? You ever stopped and thought about that? It's kind of significant if we want all things to work together for me. Because he's saying that those who love God are also those who are those who are called according to his purpose. So let's break it down together. What does it mean to be called? Not this, right? Ring, ring. That's not what we're talking about here, right? They didn't have cell phones in the first century, just in case we're wondering, okay? So it's not that kind of calling. What is, what is a calling? What does the Greek word mean here? It is to be summoned, denoting someone whose participation or presence has been officially requested, especially a request in which refusal is not an option, Refusal is not an option. And so in this calling, it is not simply the gospel going out. It is the gospel going out and you coming to faith. It is what they call, the theologians call, an effectual call. It was an offer you could not refuse, right? If you've ever been around the Godfather movies, you'd know, right? An offer you cannot refuse. Okay, I actually have not seen them, but I've heard that quote I don't know how many times. 
All right? That's what happened in your life. If you're in Christ today, you received a, a call that you could not refuse. He opened your heart and mind to understand salvation. Vine puts it like this. The two descriptions, them that are called and them that love God, are to one another a cause as cause and effect. Those who love God are necessarily those who are called. The call, always in the epistles, is an effectual call. It produces the response of love to him who calls. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24 says this, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Many people, when they hear the gospel, they just think that's foolishness. But listen to what verse 24 says. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus put the effectual call like this in John 6, 44. No one has come to me, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so we are those whom the Father has drew to him. We've been called according to his purpose. This is an incredible statement. It reminds us of God's specific call on everyone who comes to him in faith. It was his purpose that you would be his child. Like, how incredible is that statement? It was God's purpose that you would be his child. It was his purpose to work all things together for good for those who love him, for those who are called. God has a plan, his purpose, and a purpose in calling you. Ephesians 1.11 says it like this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Who is in charge of it all? It's God. He is sovereign over it all. He who is sovereign over all has called you according to his plan that will fulfill his will that the Spirit prays for in verses 26 and 27. His purpose is a saving purpose. His plan is good. We're going to return to what this all things working together for good will look like in just a moment. But I want us to look at verse 29. Three reasons the believer can trust the Lord. One, the plan of God, it is good. Two, the purpose of God, it is glorious. What is this purpose he has called you to? He explains it in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. He's elaborating what this calling is, what this purpose of God is in your life. He's helping us to understand the good that he's bringing about. God's good, so much better than our good. He is bringing about for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those are a couple of popular words for knowledge and predestination, right? Let's be honest. For some of you, you kind of start going like this a little bit when you hear those words, okay? But what? We have, they're in God's word, are they not? Is this just some theological, something somebody made up? No, they're in God's word. So we must understand what do these words mean? What does it mean that God foreknew? Again, this is talking about the people whom he has called. It is a specific group of people. Truly, God has known all people whom he has ever created. He is omniscient. But he's talking about a special knowledge, a relational knowledge that he has with a specific group of people. Sometimes people will say, well, it's those whom, as he looked down through history, those whom he thought would come to a knowledge of him, those who would come to faith in him. That's this group of people. But if that's true, then salvation is on my merit, not on his merit. And so I do not believe that is the proper way to interpret this. For he says he not only foreknew them, but he predestined them. What does it mean that he predestined them? 
Stott says this, if God predestines people because they're, sorry, going back to this idea of us being in charge of our salvation. Stott says this, if God predestines people because they're going to believe, then the ground of their salvation is in themselves and in their merit instead of in him and his mercy. Whereas Paul's whole emphasis is on God's free initiative of grace. His foreknowledge said that we would be predestined. This word is what? It's to come to a decision beforehand. It's to decide beforehand, to determine ahead of time. God, before, if we understand all of the New Testament, before there was even creation, God predestined that you would be his child. That you would be conformed to the image of his son. Now, we don't have time to get into all the implications this morning. But keep coming to church. Next fall, Romans 9 through 11, we're going to talk a whole lot about these, these things, right? But why is he putting it right here? He's not, he's not elaborating on these things. He's just simply like firing them off. He's firing them off. Why? Because he wants, to understand, he wants you to understand why you can have hope today. Because those whom he foreknew, he predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Before there was creation, God looked down through history and he chose you to be conformed to the image of his son. This was his predetermined plan for you. Again, that should just be like, are you kidding me? Why? Well, I <laughs> I know me. I, I really do deserve it. I mean, I'm a pretty incredible person. I can see why God would choose me. Says no one. No one who truly understands their depravity, who understands that they really don't deserve it. But God in his love, which we're going to get to at the end of the chapter here, God in his love Look down and predestine you to be conformed to the image of his son, to be shaped into his image. To look like Jesus. Now, as I, as I was studying this week, I was like, why, why use that word in the image of Christ? Why, why that word? And as I was thinking about it, studying it, I, I was thinking about the whole context here as we've been going through Romans 8. Remember going back to creation, the original, it was good? And with sin coming into the world, there's been a distortion. And so now God is redeeming that. Let's go back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says in Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God is restoring things to the way that they ought to have been. You and I, who are in Christ Jesus, are now being made into the image of Christ, into the image of God, as was his original plan. He is having his way in this world. He is restoring things even now. In the life... In, the life, the goal, in our life, the goal of every believer is to be conformed to the image of Christ. This is your singular goal. Howard Hendricks says it like this, The Bible was not written to satisfy your curiosity, but to make you conformed to the image of Christ. Not to make you a smarter sinner, but to make you like the Savior. Not to fill your head with a collection of biblical facts, but to transform your life. This was God's plan of salvation. What a glorious plan. Colossians 3.10, And having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And so God is taking all things in your life. And what is the good that he's bringing about? He's making you more and more like Jesus through the events that he is allowing in your life, day in and day out. 
The good that Paul is referring to is the ultimate good. It is the the superior good that you might look more and more like Jesus. All things he's using to that end. Do you trust him? Do you submit to him in these things? I love this illustration I came across this week. There was a, a servant of God. His name was Mr. Gilpin. And he was arrested to be brought up to London to be tried for preaching the gospel. His captors made mirth of his frequent remark, everything is for the best. Something he would say over and over again, everything is for the best. When he fell from his horse and broke his leg, they were especially merry about it. But the good man quietly remarked, I have no doubt, but even this painful accident will prove to be a blessing. Is that how you look at life? Whatever God brings into your life, that you believe that God is using it for your good? That you might be conformed to the image of Christ? Do you have that faith today to say as Paul, we know, we know that God is using all things that I might be conformed to the image of Christ. Ephesians 1 forces this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He is conforming you to his image, but as we just read a few verses ago last week, he's not just changing you, he will complete that change. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And so he is changing us and conforming us day by day into the image of Christ, and one day when you leave this earth, on that glorious day when all things are made right, we will look like Christ, fully and complete. And so we have hope this morning in his glorious plan. This is God's plan for you. How do you feel about that? Are you excited about that? That you have been chosen by God to be conformed into the image of Christ in order what? In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. As glorious is the plan for you, the plan is so much more glorious when we understand what he's saying in these verses, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Is this saying, as some claim, that Jesus had a beginning, that he was born at some point? Well, Christ did have a birth here on this earth, but we understand from the scripture that Christ is eternal. He is fully God, and so when we think of this term Firstborn, we best understand it in this sense. It's in his position. He is preeminent. He is above all else. And so he is bringing all about this. Why? For his glory, that you and I might worship him. All scenes, as you look at the book of Revelation, they're bowing down before the Lamb. Before Christ who was slain, he receives the glory and the honor through this plan. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is above all else. About a week and a half ago, we had a, a question and answer time with the, with the pastor, with the teens, right? The little grill, the pastor time. I love those times. I love it, especially with teens, because they, they just ask what's actually on their mind instead of trying to phrase it in such a way that, you know, you might, you know, whatever you might think about them, they don't care, right? So that's awesome. And one of the kids say, like, okay, if God is so powerful, if he is over everything, then why save us through this way? Because of what's said right here in this verse. Because it brings the most glory to God. That's why. 
It demonstrates his incredible love. It it shows us what grace and mercy mean. And we get to worship this God for all of eternity. Three reasons the believer can trust the Lord. Lastly, the power of God. It is great. It is great. He says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, we could do a six-month study on this verse. Let's be real. But he's not doing that. He's saying this for a six-month study. What he's saying this for is so that you might be assured of the fact that he is over your salvation from beginning to end. That is what he's saying in these verses. How do I know that my salvation is sure? How do I know that it's secure? Because every, everyone that God predestines, he also calls, he also justifies, he also glorifies. Who's doing all the work? God. God does it all. We'll just use Boa's simple definitions here to help us just to understand what these, each of these words mean. Foreknowledge. God's setting his love upon those whom would be conformed to his son's image. What does it mean to be predestined? God's determining the destiny of those from whom he has set his love. The destiny that you might be conformed to the image of Christ. What does calling mean? God's effectual call from death to life. Those upon whom he has set his love. You want a visual, a physical reminder of what that looks like? It's like God, Jesus, standing at the tomb of Lazarus and saying, come out. That's what happened in our lives. We were dead spiritually, and he says, come. Justification. God's declaring as righteous those who repented and believed. And then glorification. God's fulfillment of his purposes, the making of fallen sinners into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, for eternity. He does it all. Now, I want to recognize this morning that you might be like I was when I heard these words, foreknowledge, predestination, calling. When I first heard these things, I was like, that's ridiculous. Was I 10 years old at the time? Uh, No, I was not. I'd been in ministry for 10 years. I had preached the Word of God. I I felt like I knew a whole lot. And when I heard someone say these things, I knew the proper response. What was my response to anyone who would believe these things? Well, obviously... Those are those arrogant people. Those people who don't believe in evangelism, right? That's those people. Those people who think that you can just sin away and and that God won't care. That's what those people believe. Was I right? No, I was not right. And God, in his grace, started to work in my life to say, you know what? A good understanding of the Bible doesn't do this. Taking my Sharpie out and just covering over certain words in the Bible so that it all fits together so that I can understand it. I can't do that. You can't do that. And so when it comes to things like foreknowledge, predestination, God's sovereignty over all things, understand this. They are in God's Word. And our understanding of them needs to match with what God's Word says. So if you kind of go like this a little bit when you first hear these words, just calm down a little bit and then just start to study it. They are difficult things to understand. 
but they are in the scripture. One thing that we know for sure is that God is sovereign. Another thing that we know for sure, man is responsible. And we might think, well, how do those things fit together? The Bible says they do. The Bible says they do. Stop puts it like this. A good example of this tension is found in the teaching of Jesus, who declared both that no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him, and that you who refuse to come to me to have life, sorry, you refuse to come to me to have life. Why do people not come to Jesus? Is it that they cannot or is it that they will not? The only answer which is compatible with the teaching of Jesus is both. One commentator put it like this, who told us to reconcile in our little minds these seemingly contradictory things? Have we ceased to believe where we do not understand? That's a really good rebuke, isn't it? These things are lofty, but they are in God's word. So let us embrace our understanding of these things. Let us not miss what Paul is trying to say here. As you're going through difficult days, know this. I am bringing all of this together for good. That you might be conformed to the image of Christ. If you don't believe me, look at the plan of salvation. I looked through the history of time. I chose you. I predestined you. I called you with an effectual call. I have justified you. I am sanctifying, sanctifying you and I will glorify you. It's incredible. From beginning to end, he's sovereign over all. When we're starting to grow in our understanding of these things, just look at the Old Testament. As we're going to get to in Romans chapter 11, verse 2. Did Abraham choose God? No, God chose Abraham. And thus, the whole nation of Israel was chosen by God. So too it is for you and I today. When you are tempted to doubt the power of God to do what he promised, and we will, think about a few examples. Think of Joseph. Think of how Joseph used all the circumstances, or God used all the circumstances in Joseph's life to bring about good. You guys remember Joseph? He had the amazing brothers. Amazing brothers that were so great that they hated him and hated him so much that they sold him into slavery. And if that was not enough, while being a slave, a servant, being a faithful servant, God saw fit that Joseph would go to prison. And while in prison, God brought about another plan, that he would be freed from that prison and would become the second most powerful person in the world. That was God's plan for Joseph. Joseph understood that. When his brothers are freaking out, about the consequences for what he had done. What does he say in Genesis 50, 20? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Were the brothers 100% accountable for their actions? For sure they were. Did God bring about good through those evil actions? Yes, he did. After Israel had rebelled against God again and again and again, and he finally sent them into exile. What did he say in Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God was not done with his people. He promised that he would bring about a future and a hope for the people of Israel. And then, of course, we've already talked about the best example of all of God taking evil and bringing about good. 
It's found at the cross. Wicked men conspired together to have Jesus killed, but God used it to bring about the salvation of a multitude of people. From eternity to eternity, God has acted with the good of his people in mind. But if God has always acted for our good and, our, and will in the future act for our good, Paul reasons then, will he not also use our present circumstances for good? For those this morning who struggle with the sovereignty of God and are struggling to take comfort in these verses, I ask you this. Would you rather that you were in control? This is a position that brings no comfort to the soul. There is no hope in this belief that you are in control. Most of you know that our oldest daughter, Hope, went through a really difficult time and we didn't know whether she was going to live or not. And in, we were in the hospital for, nine or for, for five months and in a large part of our city, our Christian community, came and ministered to us. A lot of people brought us meals and cared for us. And I remember a lady coming to visit. And in her effort to encourage us, she said this, we know that this is not God's plan for hope. How do you think I received those words? I don't think there is a more hopeless statement than that. This is not God's plan for hope. What is the alternative to believe that? Did Satan win the day? Did Satan somehow get one over on God and, and, and maybe, hopefully, one day God will win it all, but for now we're in this battle where Satan wins? That's hopeless. That's hopeless. Am I to believe that God was asleep that day when all those events happened to hope? Is that what I'm to believe? That, that he was resting when these things happened? What kind of a God is that? It's a weak God and a hopeless God. If God is not in control of everyday circumstances, and if things are simply left up to chance, then life is in chaos and everything, including your salvation, is up in the air. Try telling Joseph that it was not God's plan for him that he suffered for over a decade. Try telling Paul that it was not God's plan that he sat in prison, was beaten, was in shipwrecks. Try telling Jesus that it was not God's plan for him to suffer. Oh, actually, Peter tried that. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. No, these things are under God's control. This morning, if you love God, then know for certainty that our God is in control. He is taking all things, and I mean all things, and he is using them for your good. Why? Because he loves you. Because he chose you to be conformed to the image of Christ. So he's taking all things, even things that are evil, and bringing about the ultimate good in your life. Do you believe that this morning? Anybody ever break a cake here? Anyone bake a cake? Let's just think about this as we close this morning. You ever eaten flour on its own? How tasty is that? Little baking powder, salt, raw eggs. How, how good are those things on their own? None of them are good. But you, do, you take all those things, there's a little, little sugar in there. Guess what? It's a pretty tasty thing by the end. God is doing so much better than baking a cake in your life, right? He's making you like Jesus. 
I pray this morning that would encourage your hearts. Whatever you're going through, I'm so thankful that he knows exactly what is going on in your life. And I'm praying that he would give you faith to see that he is bringing it about for your ultimate good this morning. Let me pray. God, we're so thankful for this time together this morning. That God, you are powerful. That you know all things. And that all power is yours. That in a way that we cannot fully comprehend or understand, God, you are bringing all things together for good. For those who love you, for those who are called according to your purpose. What an awesome thing to understand this morning. That, Lord, you've chosen us. That it was your plan that we would be a part of the family of God. And that you would make us to look like your son, Jesus. May we never cease to be in awe of that. God, I pray that these words would bring the encouragement that, Lord, you want them to bring. No matter what we are facing, we know that, Lord, you're using these things for good. Thank you for that confidence that we can have this morning. Help us to trust in you. Lord, if there be anyone here this morning who does not yet love you, God, help them to see that today they would repent and place their trust in you. They too would be in the family of God. Lord, thank you for this time. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.